I'm Aaron Broadus, and you're listening to the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. Join me as I talk shop with some of Maine's most influential and passionate fly fishing folks about our diverse fisheries that make Maine such a special place to cast a fly. On this episode of the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast, I'm very excited to be sitting down with Jeff Davis of the Maine Fly Company to learn about how fly rods are made and to talk about his small batch fly rod business. We will also talk about what you should look for when selecting a fly rod of your own. Join me as we get to know about this awesome new Maine fly fishing business. Uh, well, I was uh, grew up and born in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, stayed there long enough to uh, go through the school systems and, and go to school. And I don't think it was much more than a couple weeks after I graduated, I left and never returned. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm also from... Uh, I'm from Westbrook originally, so oh, okay. we're both from those mill towns, right? Yeah, that's right. Those original mill towns, and not everybody likes to say they're from Westbrook or from Lewiston, but... It's my roots. It's I mean, roots, right? Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of those little unique French things from, from the L.A. area that I still hold on to, but, yep. um, you know, I, I, I just was never a big school spirit guy and, and, a, and a diehard blue devil behind the scene, and, that's right. um, you know, I remember it was just a couple weeks after I took my hockey bag that I'd been using the last 10 years, I, I dumped it all on the floor, filled it with clothes, threw it in the back of my truck, and, and, and drove south, and I uh, didn't come home for about eight or nine years, so, um, you know, but I still have family and roots there, so. So where'd you go, where'd you go after high school? Uh, boy, where didn't I go? Um, I think my first stop was Western New York out in Buffalo, back when the Bills were on that massive tear of making it and losing, and... <laughs> So there was a bit of fun with all that, um, you know, Niagara Falls, getting into Canada, you know, getting into the, the, the naughty bars at a young age, which was all fun, and um, from there ended up south, I was down on the beach in Florida for a while, and um, playing that game, I got a call from an old guy I was selling with uh, to scoot over to Texas, and I was like, yeah, you know, 10-gallon hats, I don't know if that's my gig, they're like, no, 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 this is a... Bowman City, you gotta, you gotta get over here. Um, so back with the hockey bag and the truck, and ended up over there. Um, from there, ended up in Nevada, Northern California. Um, so after high school, you just started kind of traveling around the country and just totally taking odd jobs here and there. Yeah, yeah, just, just breaking out of my little French Canadian town to go see what was really out there. Cool. Uh, which was cool, and then, you know, of course, my roots spoke to me and. Um, you know, I missed the cold salt, I missed the coast, and I missed Maine. Yep, yep. I think a lot of people have that story. Yeah. A lot of people leave here, they want to get away, especially at that age. Totally. 18 to 22. Yep. You just think you got it all figured out, and... Just go. You just go. I told my oldest the same thing when he graduated. Get out of here. Go, go. You know, um, go get it out of your system, and, and your love for Maine is going to kick in, and, and you're going to come home for life. Yep, yep. So, um... Any fly fishing when you're doing that, or where does where does fly fishing come into the, the game for you? No, um, you know I grew up with three women: my two older sisters and my mom. My dad was, you know, either New Hampshire or Mass. He was on the road. He was doing pharmaceutical, and and so he'd, you know, poke his head up once in a while, and that's when I'd find myself with a little rod in my hand, not flying, catching fish. I just saw some old pictures the other day. I couldn't been more than five or six. Um, you know, but having that male in the house to kind of bring me on those trips that was absent for me. So, um, you know, growing up in Lewis and you know, it's, it's almost automatic. You've got a hockey stick at birth and, oh, yeah. you know, so yeah, whether you're playing street hockey or on the ice or whatever your level was, you, you did that a lot of the time. And, and I was a young, you know, soccer jo- uh, junkie and, and, and loved, you know, being on the field. I was short. But I, but I had the speed, and so I was always a good midi, and, and I, uh, so I loved that part of it. But, you know, the fishing for me in, in this real obsession, I guess, that it's turned into it is really in my later later years. Yeah. Uh, uh, going to my dad in New York and, and fishing some waters up there. And, but at the same time, I was, uh, you know, a teen annoyed being up at 5 a.m., and that didn't work for me. And, sure. You know, so... Um, you know, a lot of it just happened really organically in my later years, and especially after my dad's passing, it was, you know, something really strange that came over me. But it's I, I've never been as obsessed on anything as I am now. Yeah. 
So, um, when, how old were you when you first picked up a fly rod then? Uh, probably my 30s. Your 30s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I brought it out to uh, my wife's uh, mother's house at the time. My brother-in-law's there. They, they all grew up with, with fly rods in their hand. My father-in-law started Main Lakes Conservatory. He was the main guide. And it was that side of the family that, you know... Yeah, that loop's big. I don't know what you're doing there. Let me show you how to cast that thing. And, you know, one thing led to another. Toby and I find ourselves more and more on the water. And, you know, he still acts like my guide a lot of the times, although, you know. Is he your father-in-law or brother-in-law? My brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law. Okay, yeah. Yeah. He'll deny it, but I'm, I'm, beating, I'm beating his fish count now, so. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, uh, yeah, you know, it was through them. My wife, she grew up on the water. She grew up fly fishing. So that whole side of the family really had it. And then my dad, you know, had this real deep-rooted passion for Maine and fly fishing and salmon, and it's all he would talk about. But as he got older, and, and um, you know, he was sick for a long time, and he ended up having to be out in Chicago. All he wanted to do was get back to Maine. All he wanted to do was get back on the rivers, and all he wanted to do was, was, was fly fish and, and, and see salmon and talk to him. And he'd go into local shops there and... You know, he just couldn't read a room very well. You could tell the guys were done, but he'd be sitting there filling them with everything he knew about Maine and, <laughs> and how much he loved it up here. So my, my dad was a fisherman his whole life, grew up in the south, ended up in the north, you know, after being in the service. And, um, you know, I, I think it was in my blood. I just didn't find it till later. Sure. Yeah. A lot, and a lot of guys don't. Yeah. You know, it's, Nate and I were talking about that. Nate White and I were talking about how just... A lot of guys are picking up later in life, and then they're almost getting their dad back into it, or they're getting their dad into it for the first time, or yeah, siblings or whatever. It's like, because it's fishing, right? And like, it's fun to do on your own, but you also it's cool to have someone else out there with you. Totally, yeah. I mean, all these, you know, previous episodes of these guys and multiple generational. You know, I've got a lot of uh, very envious of that, and and you know, a lot of that is is. Yeah, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but a lot of that's sort of what started Main Fly Company. And, cool. And what I'm trying to create for my three boys and, um, you know, something special that we can just keep going for generations to come. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you first started fly fishing uh, a lot with your, with your brother-in-law, where are some places you would go in Maine? Uh, you know, we were on some local waterways. He's just over the border in New Hampshire, so we were playing a little down there. Local streams here. I mean, in the beginning, you know, you're sort of, you know, reflecting back to your spinning days, right? Just kind of throw it out there, it'll happen. Uh, no, right? After a few years of almost some giant goose eggs and what the hell is wrong? I don't think this is for me, but man, I love being out here. Um, you know, you start identifying the more fruitful waterways and, you know, it, it, it's funny. I don't have to tell anybody, you know, here, but it takes some time to find those holes. It takes time to find your spots. It takes time to figure out where you're going to catch. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember standing down in the Royal not too far from here, right off the dam, uh, totally rough time of season, and I'm just swinging a rod, getting it stuck up in the trees, and I was having the time of my life, I didn't see anything, until a bird came flying down out of the water, and, and, and grabbed a, a stocky out, and took off with it, almost taunted me, and I all right, they're here, I just don't know what the hell I'm doing yet, um, right, right. And, and that all really fed the obsession. Yeah, I th and I think a lot of guys who didn't grow up with like a dad who was really into it, who could teach them, uh, they have all those formative stories where, you know, they have those days where, <laughs> I, mean, I can remember fishing when the water was probably 80 degrees and I didn't even understand that the trout was not going to be coming to play on those days, probably not even in that section of the river. And, but I didn't know, I didn't know anything. You know? Right. So yeah, I think a lot of people have those stories. Those are, those are cool stories. I like hearing those stories too. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So. You know, I'm, I'm. I'm trying to, you know, re regenerate something that's clearly in our roots, and, you know, I just lost my way for a while. I was in, you know, living in Portland for all the years, bartending and playing that whole thing, and, um, you know, my, my love and my roots were always the outdoors, and that's why I settled out here where I am now, and, um, you know, nothing has ever spoken to me the way this has, so it, it, fly fishing's pretty special to me now. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you get out a lot still? I know you're busy with making rods and stuff, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, last year in our opening year, it was like, um, you know, with, without without kind of looking ahead, I was like, man, this is great. I'm gonna get out there every day, and 
uh, you know, five sold out batches later, I was like, uh, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to see the sun for the next month. Um, you know, but it did expose us some cool trips. I mean, we took the great trip with, with tight loops and spent a few days up at the mags and, yeah. you know, we did, we, we, we fished some nice waters and I got out a lot more, uh, this year we've, you know, certainly got, you know, big plans. I was talking to a local guide, Matt Vieira the other night and he's like, you know, I've got a new thing now that, uh, I, I create my wish list for the year and, and, and I make sure I check them all off of spots I want to go. And he got me thinking and we generated a pretty big list. So I may not go as often because of how much I'm building, uh, but the trips we're taking are pretty special. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and for people who don't know, the, the video you're referring to is on your website. Yeah. It's kind of easier, like, promo video, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there was a, there was a... Yes, right? So I think when we started, it was... I wanted, you know, a video of the company. I wanted to, you know, kind of quickly bring us up to speed and organically without really knowing who they were um i pulled in tight loops and, and tight loops for those of you who do know is got made a hell of a name for themselves yeah I, I bet anybody listening to this has watched some like, <laughs> chase's videos because they're just they're brilliant incredible really they are yeah. and at the time that's not how they were listed i i kind of put out a a request to a number of videographers they jumped in he starts talking my language he knows the spots i said all right cool we, we got to do something together and so they came and spent a few days uh, with me here uh, building and then a day, a couple days up on the river. And, you know, they're so good that when they were done, they were able to tell my story better than I was in a four-minute span. Uh, they just pieced together, I mean, hours and hours and hours to a video that, you know, I teared up, my wife cried when we saw it because it was like, that is Main Fly Company. Yeah. And that's really everything that started this and all of our inspirations and... Um, you know you found a video, a good videographer, when it's your footage and, and you're crying at the end of it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, for sure. They nailed it. Yeah, um, it's, it's an incredible video. I remember watching it the fir for the first time, and for me it was really cool because I had the connection of, I, you know, I love the McGalloway River. We've been talking about that off off the mic here a little bit, and it's it's uh, I think it's so cool that you did that up there, and it was fun for me just watching it. I'm like, hey, I know that's funny. I know that's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you got into a few and got to show off those gorgeous brookies they have there and yeah just it's main man that's just pure main right it's main and, and just as he launched his drone that day uh, i was standing out next to matt and matt had just netted this beast and uh the drone kind of caught the whole thing it's like a short clip of the video but yep. it, it was very cool yeah yeah i mean that's and that's stuff's hard you know <laughs> yeah. getting the right shots at the right times and yeah it's, uh, it was impressive yeah it's a really great video though if 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 you haven't checked it out, go check it out on Main Fly Company's website. It's, it's right at the front there, right? Yeah, it's yeah. down at the bottom. I think it's yeah. now labeled the inspiration. And, cool. You know, it was, it was the right first one to try to tell our backstory a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's so well done. I mean, it's just clean. It's just, it's pure Main. So, yeah. um, what's your, uh, just a more personal question. So, what what's your current famous situation? Uh, well, I am, uh, well, I married and we haven't told a whole lot of people. So we're kind of planning a, a secret little wedding here, uh, in, in uh, July here at the house. But we, after nine years of being together, we, we finally let family and life get, get out of the way and, and, and said, let's, let's, let's do this. Uh, we had already had our house and our boys at that point. I've got twin three and a half year old boys who are, um, you know, hopefully the future of all this. I've got an older boy who um, likes to go out and cast with me and, and do these things. So I've got three sons, my wife, our dog, Allagash, and our, our, our new cat, River, that, that is ah. quite an animal tearing up the house. Yep. Um, my dog's named River, that's why I had the lab. Oh, is that right? A black lab named River, yeah. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was fitting. So, yep. you know, that's our home life, family life now, and, and um, you know, they keep us busy, but they're... They're a hell of a lot of fun, and um, one of them's already got a real interest in building, and they'll sit down here and just watch me build for hours. Oh, isn't that cool? It, it's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like my four, I have a four-year-old daughter, and she talks, she just sees my fishing videos or sees pictures of me, and she just, I haven't even really brought her yet because I just haven't found a good opportunity, and she's, I feel like she's at a good age now, and I'm going to try to get her out this year. And, but, I mean, just when she talks about it, it makes me let up, you know. Oh, uh, if she had uh, if she had a tenth of the passion I had for it, I'd be so excited. Totally, and you know? and you know, for me, it was just so important not to cram this down their throat, and, and I and I don't mm -hmm. in any respect, but 
we're outside rebuilding a, a an old Arrow vintage camper, and I, I gutted it out and built a couple lofts for the boys, and it's going to be that perfect little spot to bring them to a couple of my sweet spots up north and absolutely let them just hang and watch me fly. And if they want to do it, great. Yeah. Um, I brought Finn over to the little pond over at um, Pineland last year. Yeah. Helped him cast a couple, and, and he caught his first one. Uh, I let him reel it in and take it in and oh, hold it. Cool. They have a little kid's pond over there. They stalk, right? They, well, I agree with you. It should be a kid's pond. Um, people flock to it like it's an Olympic sport. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it should be a little training casting pond, but they do. They stock it. And it yeah. To me, it should be a kid-only, yeah. go get your feet wet kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know some other towns that do that. and Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that would be a perfect use for that. So Totally. Um, so, if you could fish, if you could fish for only one species in Maine, what would you, what's your... What's your passion? What's your, like, I love catching this type of fish over and over. Um, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer for me. I mean, I, uh, I love the landlocks. Um, I think they're so special and, um, you know, more than they're just main state fish, which amazingly people still think it's the brickie. Um, the, the, the landlocks for me, they, they, you know, they give me the aerials, they give me the fight, they, um, I don't know. For me, they're, they're just a special fish. And when I see yeah. that on the end of the line, I'm, you know, I'm twice as stoked as anything else. Absolutely. Um, you know, big, small, or indifferent. I, I mean, the last one was up at the dead, and, um, boy, he was just doing his best. You know, gave me a heck of a fight and a good show. And, you know, pound for pound, I think these little guys are tough, and they're, they're, they're just really fun. And, you know, pulling him in is as special to me as, you know, running into a moose. Know, down the road and he's just roadside staring at me it's just yeah something very main it's authentic but i but i'm definitely a landlock guy yeah and i mean they're not fish that you find in other parts of the country they don't just go stock them and i mean like brook trout are out west you know they they've stocked them out there over the years and but you're right yeah salmon are really true to maine so yeah it's pretty cool yeah they're, they're special yeah they absolutely are um how about outside of fly fishing and rod building do you have other passions yeah, you know, they've, they've changed over the years. I think as uh, you get older, a little more sore. I, you know, I played soccer for 20-something years. I coached high school soccer. We won some state championships and stayed in the men's leagues and, you know, stayed true to that for a while. Um, over the last few years with the boys and limited time, um, you know, some wood building. I like, I like playing with wood. It's something about a lathe and a smell of some fresh wood and, and building something out of it is pretty awesome. Uh, we've got a few acres out here, so you know I, I just really value a uh, a day that's not covered in snow, where I can get out work on the land a little bit and, and uh, build stuff for us outside. And so you know it, it's it's funny. It's gone from this really corporate thing that never worked for me to this really natural lifestyle these last few years. And um, you know I, I've given up a lot to do it, but it, there's just no place I'd rather be than outside on this property working or. Or crafting something, you know. Yeah, are are you a guy who grew up like? Uh, did you learn those skills as a kid? You know how to fix things or how to build things, or is this kind of stuff you're just learning it now in life and embracing it? It's funny when you grow up with three women, um, and sort of back in that in that time where, you know, the guy should fix it, right? And yet I'm the youngest brother in the house, so if there's anything that was going wrong, it's I was usually fixing it. Whatever house we were in, I always took over half the basement and would create these workshops. And they'd think I was weird, but I was always hanging out in the basement. It was just my thing. And, uh, you know, so in my dad always, you know, made sure I had, you know, five times the tools that I needed. So, you know, that that kind of thing always just came naturally. I, I own a building in Portland. I'm still a landlord. I, I'd prefer to fix something for I'll, I'll call somebody type thing. And But the wood stuff is all kind of new. Um, maybe over the last six, seven years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated, fascinated and have a lot of admiration for these, these, you know, um, whatever, chairs, tables, legs, everything that they're making now. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. so that's a big passion on the side right now. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, like I didn't grow up doing any of that stuff either, and, and, uh, I, I mean, I don't use a screwdriver until I was probably 22. Right. <laughs> my, uh, that's my oldest son, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's me, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Woodworking just has this cool thing, and yeah, you could just go buy a bookcase for two hundred dollars, and you build one. You're probably 
spending a lot more of your time than, than you would be if you just went and bought it, but there's just that satisfaction of finishing something yourself, and yeah, it's cool, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, I just started getting woodworking the last four years of my life, my uncle has a huge shop in Gorham, and he's got all this old, this old commercial uh, gear, and he's teaching me about it, he's a joiner and a planer, and I mean, I never even used a table saw until I was almost 30, so, yeah, you know, it's been really cool just learning those things, and yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, it's right, it's like fly fishing, woodworking, all these things just kind of seem to be similar in a way. Yeah. I think we like challenges. We like challenges and, and um, you know, crafting our own stuff. And, For sure. Uh, you know, the tables, the, the little barn outside, I mean, all you know, the things here on the property is, you know, stuff that I, I, I built. And, um, yeah, I like it better that way. Cool. And my wife supports it. She's so non-furniture store kind of, I'd rather you build this thing for me and It'll take me a month. That's fine. I'll wait. And it works for both of us. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. Um, all right. Well, let's, so let's talk about the main fly company. So how did you uh, get the idea um, to, to start the company? Was was rod building something that you did before? It was just kind of like a little side hobby? And... Yeah. No. Um, you know, the, the story behind it has kind of got a couple layers to it, but... Um, the, you know, the first and I think the most impactful layer to me um, was my father's passing, uh, not to be redundant on the video, but, um, you know, w w w when you're your dad's only son and there's that connection, but that also that tremendous disconnection when they're on the other side of the country and, you know, you're not quite having that relationship that you're, you, you really wish you had, um, there's something about the passing that just causes a lot of reflection and, and going out there and I was the only one of his kids I was able to go out there and kind of help his, his partner and help her pack up and, and make all arrangements and I, I just couldn't get out of ironically his basement uh, with all the tools and then I found the fly collection and it was like this oh damn moment like I always knew I was going to get back around to it with him and I know I never did and uh, so it was exciting and heartbreaking and emotional and, and I'm holding his waders and I'm putting together some of his old bamboo rods and I'm looking at his bags and his reels and he take, took notes on everything and his journals and I'm reading them and I don't know man it was just like I hadn't even really got that back into it yet and, and suddenly I, I just was obsessed with, with carrying out this relationship and, and that, that I always wanted and and, um, and I was able to do in a different way. You know, my dad was also the kind of guy that if he had, you know, his five cherished rods, don't touch them. I'll show them to you. You ask me, I'll take them out. I'll show them to you. That's awesome. And so, you know, yeah, I'm a naughty little boy now. I have access to all this stuff. Oh, you can't find me now. I'm going to look at all this stuff. And, you know, so there was something really, really, really inspiring at, at that moment. And it wasn't much before then that I can reflect being with Toby um, down in New Hampshire and we were... Uh, I think we were playing on the Lamprey. You know, we were sitting Riverside, we'd been fishing for a while, and I started going through this rod that I was holding, and I'm like, this can't be that hard. I'm not really crazy about this rod. This rod's not special to me in any way, and I see all these flies, and everyone's, this this is a real craft word, and this, this you know what, I'm going to break this rod up. and <laughs> So, kind of silly, but I started ripping the cork off, and the handles, and the guides, and, and dissecting this thing, and I said, this this can't be that hard. Um, and I think I can do this better in, in, in a way that's more meaningful to me. Um, and, you know, it wasn't long after that, I, and, I, and I say not long, and I, I've sort of been a serial entrepreneur over the years, but nothing spoke to me as quickly um, and as confidently as this did. Um, I'm going to build these things. And, you know, at the same time, I also was really watching the West and the videos and I'm such a New Englander at heart that you know, I, I, I you know, I almost defend it. It's like when you're when you're in New England, you know, everybody's playing their little territories. When you're out of New England, you know, then everyone's talking about the geographies. I've always been so protective and, and, and spoke so highly of New England because I think I I love it for so many different reasons. And you know, a river run through it comes by, and suddenly Montana, which is a put them on the map though, big time. Which is a beautiful place. Yeah put them on the map as the fly capital of, of the world. And yep. I, I argue that. 
in certain respects. I, I think that they, of course, they've got some beautiful big browns and some wide rivers for big loops, and I get it. it it's different, and it's beautiful. But, you know, then I'm like, who's putting Maine on the map? How are we showcasing Maine at this point? What products or services are we doing out of Maine to, to, to bring that nationally, not as a competition, but as a, just an equal platform to share the beauty of here and share what it is we love? And, you know, you tie all those things together, my interpretation of that was through small batch rods. Yeah. Uh, so you didn't want to make a movie with Brad Pitt in it to put me on the map? Well, you know, I turned him down. <laughs> uh, maybe next year. Um, you know, so... <laughs> so crazy. It's crazy. If you think about it, that's, that's really how Montana started booming, they say. I mean, a lot of it's true. guides and people out there, they attest to the fact that, yeah, there were people going out there hiring guides, but then it just like... Multiply times 10 overnight after that movie. And everybody wanted to go catch a trout in Montana. Yeah. It's it's crazy to think about that now because everybody thinks of Montana as like this great motherland. However, other states, other parts of the world are starting to see, you know, hey, we have a pretty great fly fishing, uh, pretty great fly fishing opportunities here too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can correlate it with the skiing industry, right? Colorado's got the big, big powder. Well, we don't. You know, we've got icier conditions. It's a little more technical up here skiing. And, and I look at fly fishing a lot the same way. Yeah. You know, we're a little more technical. I think there's a broader range of rods that are used up here. I wouldn't sell my one weight or my two weight out in Montana. People would probably laugh at that, right? They want something that's bigger. Yeah. We're tighter. We've got more overhang. We've got a ton of waterways. It, it's different, but it's extremely special. And, you know, my version of sharing that, you know, with the country is, is, is through Maine Fly Company. Um, our rods and you know this new team that we're building that's 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 going to be part of main fly company nice so um so how long have you been making rods for like when did you so when you you broke down a rod in the river there you said i want to try to redo this yeah you know that start i didn't really start taking it too seriously until i don't know a year and a half two years ago really um which was a lot of time of trial and error yeah. Um, Did I you do... take a class, like try to learn from anybody, or is this all like ah, I'm gonna? No. I'm gonna figure this out. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not gonna lie. I YouTube a couple guys, and and it's really difficult to learn that way. You know, I think the only things I really needed to understand in the beginning was you know some of the loops and and and, and tying, um, tying on the guides, sort of some finishing tips. But I've got to be honest with you. I mean, almost everything I do now is nothing that I saw anywhere else. It just worked for me. Um, there's nothing that you can really read that's going to talk to you about, you know, seven different versions of resins and what's going to work better by seasons and the different temperatures. You got to kind of play with that. Yeah. Um, and, and same with your, you know, your, your wrapping styles and your angles and the things that you try to do there that work better for you. Um, a lot of the big guys use power wrappers. I refuse. I, I find better, um, I feel like I'm closer to it if I wrap them by hand. So I, I still do that. Um. So, yeah, you know, and then a few hundred later, you know. Here you are, right? Here you are, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so, is this, has this become a full-time job for you? Is it something you're doing on the side? How, yeah, yeah, called? great question. I, I know that I needed the time to get this where I wanted to get to, so I uh, literally gave it the first eight months of its operation, uh, being the first time uh, running this, I got a little afraid. I'm thinking, all right, fall, right? People are going to stop. Winter, oh no. I, I, got, I got boys running around. Um, so I started doing some consulting for the university. Um, and at the same time, realized that <laughs> fall and winter didn't, didn't dip for us. In fact, it, it blew up. And, you know, when we started looking at the proportion of sales and where these rods were going, you know, you realize that there's 50 other states out there whose seasons are far from over. Um, and so that's where a lot of it went to. So, um, uh, the future is uncertain other than uh, I need to grow a few more sets of hands. Yeah. So you talked about other parts of the country and, um, you know, what, what percentage of your sales are actually out of state, out of, out of the state of Maine or out of New England even outside of New England? Yeah. Proportionally it changed. I mean, in the beginning, you know, I didn't really do any advertising other than a little social media teasing and it was like a 50, 50 split at that point. But after the closing of the first calendar year that we had, we had about a 30-70 split. Uh, 30% of the sales were in Maine, uh, 70% were nationally. I mean, at this point, we've got rods in all the corners of the country. There's, 
I think all but a couple of states that that uh, we've got rods in. Um, that's the part that I was extremely humbled and, and, and excited yeah, about. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's nothing better than sending a couple rods to uh, whatever the Northwest or South Southern California, and then they send photos of them in their native waters with their native fishes, and you're seeing your rod in action, and it's it, it's a cool uh, it's a cool sales cycle, sort of in the end to see them in action in all these different spots. Sure. Um, but I was a little surprised. Um, I didn't know I had reached that far that quick. Um, you know, most of my marketing was really just in New England. I, I think it was just one of those things, the word spread. And, yeah. And um, they just suddenly ended up everywhere. And I think something that Mainers will appreciate too is like you have the name Maine right in your in your company. You know, you didn't just call it, you know, I don't know landlocked salmon rods or right. whatever, you know, or small batch rods. Like you actually kept the main name and... That's pretty cool. That's it's helping put Maine on the map, right? It's, it's important to me. I mean, there, there's some brilliant folks here. You're highlighting so many of them, and, and that's just scratching the surface. You know, I look at the Rangeley area, and, and you know, we, we all reference Kerry Stevens and Flyrod you know, Crosby. And to me, you know, the deepest roots and in the, in the, in the coolest, richest heritage uh, and everything I want to preserve is right here in Maine. And, and it, it was so important to keep Maine there. And you know, do we lose some of the audience or the potential buyers because Maine's there and there's a bias to the north? Sure. Then great. You know, there's a million other rods out there for you to buy. Sure. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not hiding the fact that we're representing Maine. We're certainly not hiding in the names of, of our rods. Um, but this year, this, this current calendar year, is really about putting deeper roots into Maine, getting more of Maine behind us, and, and building a team of a bunch of main rooted folks that can really help us in that mission. That's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's Maine's always had this, um, you know, history of being a community type state. You know, and not not you know, there's a lot of small towns in the state. There's a lot of small towns that rely on your neighbors. You don't, you're not driving to Walmart right down the road or Target or something. You know, you're you're relying on the people around you. And there's just something to be said about kind of keeping it all community-based, so. I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. It's awesome. I like that. Um, so how did you, uh, how did you come up with the, the names of your rods? So the names of your rods have been typically what? Yeah, um, it, it, it didn't take a lot of thought in the beginning as I wanted everything to be centered around Maine. And uh, I remember having one of the first rods on the dryers and I had a guide buddy over and um, started talking about the rapid and, and some of these different rivers and the, uh, it was just like an instant that's it that's it you know we're going to take inspiration from these rivers maybe stories from people who've been on the rivers or my own experience on the rivers take my interpretations of sort of what I saw and give them batches um, you know we kicked off with the rapid um, quickly got into the Galloway, the Kennebec the Kennebec to me it was a story told uh, by a main guide, and I and that same guide had this old patch. I mean, this was one of the old ones. It was dated. It was faded. It was this light green with this burnt orange. And uh, so, when you look at the Kennebec rod on our site, that's exactly what that rod looks like. That's right. And it was inspired by that story. Yeah. Um, you know, to the West Branch, to some new ones we've got this year, and, and you know the colors. You know, we stay really rustic, very earth tone. We're matching the seasons or the times of year that we think of these rivers and. And yeah, so the whole look, feel, um, you know, we have more than 5,000 waterways, so I'm not going to run out of names anytime soon. No, you're not. <laughs> and, you know, so it's about, you know, and it's also about a quick shout out to that river when we're featuring them. So if you look on the site, and you go to any of the rods, you get past the, the description, the bottom will give you a quick bio and, and, and potentially a map of, of that river and honor it um, in a unique way. Yeah, and I, did I see that you have a Casco Bay rod too? Yeah, oh, we had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe unoriginal, but after fifteen years in Portland, that's that's my big water, and uh, there's certainly plenty of striper stuff out there. So, yeah, our first big ocean batch, which last year launched way later than it should, um, but it's been uh, it's been rebuilt uh, with a fresh new look this year, and and I kept it the Casco Bay for that that authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. So you so you have all these different batches of rods with different names. And um, how do you how do you determine um, like how many rods you're gonna make for a batch? Yeah. So I think my process is different than anybody in the world. <laughs> you know because uh, 
I have batches that just may not make a lot of sense to you. Um, they'll have, you know, um, the Little River is a, you know, comes in a two and a three, it's a six, six and a seven, nine, yet the dead is soon to be launching in a uh, five, nine, uh, a 10, five and an 11. Um, and those are going to be your options in various weights. You know, a traditional manufactured line will have every weight, every line, everything called X. So you've got to dig through the batches to find the, the rod you're looking for there. Um, and then, you know, the Little River is a good story about how many, because the Little River was not really one of my creations. There was a guy who wrote in, probably my second or third month in, and he says, I've got a great idea for you. He says, we really need a small stream rod that looks like a brookie. He says, I think it's going to be great. And I'm like, eh, eh. All right. I said, I'll give it a try. I think I built 10 of them just to see what would happen. They were gone within days. It's awesome. become the best-selling rod that we've got. That's cool. And so now, as I second, third, fourth batch those, those quantities get higher. Yep. Uh, the Moose River was sort of a, a, a test market. How are they going to light? You know, if I'm testing something like that, I won't build typically much more than 10 of them. Um, but here's another case where they're probably going to be sold out before they even launch. So, you know, most of the initial batches are, are a little smaller. Um, some of the rods I really love building, some, you know, are different. I mean, the McGalloway was one of my favorites, but I discontinued it for this year. Yep. I have a suspicion it'll be back at some point. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just that I reach a certain number and I'm, I've seen enough green and orange, I'm done. I, I need to take a break from these. And, yeah, and try something different. Yeah, and I'll put 15 on the shelf and, and be done with it. Cool. Um, so, you know, the range is anywhere from 5 to you know, 30. Sure. Depends on what I'm building and yeah. what else is going on. Now, do you, um, you know, do you base your second, third, fourth batches based off of like how quickly the first batch sold of those or how quick the second batch of that certain rod sold or? I guess that's the untraditional piece number two. Um, Galloway was probably our second best selling rod and I've, I've pulled them off. Yeah. Um, not to say they won't be back at some point. Um, you know, but it's what speaks to me. It, it, it's, I've got so many batches in the works right now that I also don't want to get to the point we've got 17 batches and you're just confused and overwhelmed the second you get on the site. So yeah. to me, you know, once it gets over eight, nine different batches that have everything from, uh, you know, a one weight to a 10 weight and all the bases are covered, um, you know, I like to let that percolate and give everybody those choices and go from there. So is, is kind of your goal not to turn this into a mass production? type of company like you just always kind of keep it with these small batches that come out and that's it and then i mean are there any rods that you have like like a hundred of them you know what i mean any, yeah any higher limit ones inevitably that's that's what scaling for me looks like yeah is that we do have to build more um you know i i just now have started building a model to to bring on some new builders um I'm definitely going to rely on those guys to help build those, but it just means the batch numbers are going to get higher. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're clearly already at that point. You know, I need some of those 40, 50, 60 batch, you know, quantities coming out. Um, but that that's essentially how we'll scale. I, I still think, and, and, you know, quite frankly, that's why we started the Landlocks page, because after I build 30 of something, I get tired of it. Right. And so I'll just say, hey, I've got this cool... Blank over here, I'm going to do this one-off, and I'm going to throw it in the one-off collection. And it just adds some variety for me. Sure. Um, you know, but growing this and scaling this and, you know, if, if it all continues the way it started, um, yeah, I, I need some guys spinning pretty fast, and I'm just going to raise the quantities. Yeah, I guess, so I guess that kind of plays in my, my kind of last question for the segment of you know, what's kind of the future vision for, for Mainfly Company. Um... I think you just spoke to some of it, you know, having some having some guys come in and make more rods for those batches. But this is the first this is the first time I've ever really loved every part of what I do. Um, so I wanted to always feel that way. I'll always feel smaller than we are. Uh, we can do ten thousand rods next year, and I'm still going to feel smaller than I am. But that's that homegrown feeling that we want to keep. Yeah. And so what's what's in our future? Um, continuing to run this like a mom and pop, a small shop that really focuses on the customers, really focuses on the culture, the heritage, and, and doing everything right with great integrity, transparency out of the gate, and um, 
I, I don't really want the big mothership retail shop. I think eventually we'll have a flagship in a few years, but, you know, not until it's like we absolutely have to. Um, you know, I like the small uh, feel of it uh, with a large distribution capability. Um, so we're going to continue to grow. We're building more and more of our uh, pieces, uh, custom and closer and closer to home. Um, you know, we have a lot in the works right now, and uh, at the end of the day, I want it to still feel just like this. Yeah. So, do you have? I mean, do you have like a like a goal years down the road to be in like fly shops all across the country? No. You're just kind of keeping it more local to here, and then doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fly shops write us all the time, and you know, when the first conversation is how much do I make, the next response to me is, you know, this isn't a good fit. Yeah. I want people to either have some affection for these rods, something for Maine, something for New England. It means something to them to carry these, same as our stewards and our ambassadors and everything else. If this doesn't mean anything to you, you're not going to be great advocates, and you're going to get a smaller cut. So they're going to sit in the corner of your, your shop. And if you're not going to talk about them, and, and then I don't want them there. Right. We have other channels right. um, that are going to do just fine. You know, So, yeah, inevitably I'd love to be all over the country, uh, but in some very special and unique shops that... This is just a good fit for. Her. Yeah. And and that's not every fly shop. We all know that. No. Right? No, absolutely not. And, and I, I think it's cool that you want to stay true to your roots. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with that when they run a business and then it starts to really take off, you know. So, you know, if you can stay grounded, I think like you're saying, you're going to love your job. You're going to feel great about what you're doing. Yeah. That's important. We've got the ability to grow just as large whether we're in thousand fly shops or a hundred I mean there's a million other channels and um, you know I, I want everybody involved in this in this community that we're building to just really be behind the brand dig what we do and contribute to it in some way but if, you, if you're just looking for a 40% cut to, to sit next to 50 other flavors and you're not going to talk about this one I'd rather not do that absolutely yeah good anything else you want to share about me fly company before we go to the last part no cool well let's take a little break here for a little commercial HMH is Maine's premier manufacturer of fly tying vices, fly tying tools, and tube fly tying materials. Founded in 1975 in New Boston, New Hampshire, HMH has been hand building vices for all levels of tires. Whether you're new to fly tying and looking for a starter vice, or you're looking for a true rotary vice for more complex fly tying, this will be the last vice you'll ever need to buy. HMH builds it in their Biddeford shop from components made in Maine. Check out the lineup at tyingvice.com, that's T-Y-I-N-G-V-I-S-E.com, or give them a call at 207-729-5200. If you or someone you know is affiliated with a fly fishing related organization or business in Maine and would like to advertise on the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast, check out our Instagram page at the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast and shoot me a message. I run ads for free as this podcast is meant to be a non-profit venture that promotes the main fly fishing industry and educates folks about the awesome fly fishing opportunities that we have here in Maine. I'm back here with Jeff Davis of Maine Fly Company and uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about fly rods or he's going to talk to you a little about fly rods. So, um, I mean, Jeff, besides having a basic understanding of, of a few of the terms on the fly rod, like I know what a guide is, I know what a cork handle is. I really don't know much about fly rods and their makeup, and I kind of know the difference between like a medium action and a fast action, but I kind of liken it to a car. I've been driving a car for the last 16 years, and I feel like I can do it pretty well, but I still can't tell you how the car's made or how it runs. And um, so I mean, I'd love to more learn more about it, and I'm sure other people would too. So if you could take us through the, just what are the parts of a fly rod, I think that would be pretty awesome for people to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously you, you're going to start with the blank itself, and I'm almost kind of following this through my build process. The blank itself is just the raw rod. It's just the actual rod piece. Nothing's on it. It's actually uh, four pieces, typically three pieces uh, for some of my glass. Um, and, and what's and what's the blank made of? So the blank is made out of you know we've got every we've got glass people know glass is certainly bamboo it's not in my wheelhouse at this point 
And then there's the ongoing debate between graphite and carbon. Some are committed it's the same exact thing. Some say, no, 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 carbon bakes a little bit higher. Um, so there's an ongoing debate there, but essentially the same materials for the most part. Um, at that point, you're, you're, you're looking at your blank, your composition of your blank. Uh, then you're looking at your taper, your weight, uh, your action of your blank. And then based on those um, features there, um, you're kind of decking the rest of it out. So the very bottom of your of your rod, um, below your cork handle, they would call that a reel seat. That's just seat. That's the seat that your uh, reel essentially is going to fit into. In that seat, there's the typical you know burl wood's real common right now, but people have them in aluminum and and other different styles. But usually the the design longer piece that the uh, the reel sits over, that's your spacer. Um, I use primarily wood. I do have some aluminum for some of the bigger or even the ocean stuff. Uh, but there's various forms of that, and we've got a few um, designs in the works that'll be completely different than anything you've ever seen, but pretty cool stuff. The rest of it's just your random hardware. So once you actually lathe these wood spacers, you can lathe them to different diameters uh, for different inserts into the, into the cork. Um, but you typically will have a sliding ring and then your um, threaded ring to apply the pressure to get the, uh, to get the reel to attach, typically in an upward-facing reel seat, which then attaches underneath your cork. Uh, below the reel seat, you'll either have a fighting butt. Fighting butts change dramatically depending on the kind of rod. Uh, a lot of your standard rods will just have an end cap. Sometimes your nymph rods um, can have a small fighting butt, something in a one-and-a-half-inch range. A lot of your ocean stuff will have a one and a half inch range, and and I get random requests all the time for a one inch or just some small butt, which you know I'm not sure the purpose of some of them other than just probably aesthetics. Going up from the real seat, you've obviously got your cork. Cork's kind of loaded. Uh, people will just say, yeah, your typical handle, and I um, I think that means a lot of different things to most folks. Your your reverse full wells is probably more your typical. That's the one you'll see on a lot of rods. Kind of uh, long, wider at the bottom, but narrows at the tip. Yeah, so it tapers as it goes up. That's right. Yeah. Then you've got your full wells, which has the same as the bottom of your reverse wells on both sides. You'll see those a lot more on ocean rods. Um, they're uh, you know they're a little more rugged, but not really why people buy them. It's 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 just a different look, and they may hold differently at the top. Like you know, for me, a reverse wells. I'll, often have a finger pointing out and it just matches well. Uh, but to me, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Fenwick cork. Uh, you've got Cigar, you've got Torpedo. There's, there's tons of different uh, designs. Um, and then there's even some little 6-inch and 7-inch, which I applied to our fin, which was typically designed for kids, smaller. But if you get the guy who does know the different handles, he's picking it usually on the size of his hand how he feels, how he fits, and, and just not accepting that, that sure. standard piece. Yeah. Once you get above the cork, you've got a piece called the winding check. The winding check is your transition, uh, almost disc-style piece where the blank actually enters into the cork. And to make that clean, you'll, you'll see the little ring around that. That little piece is your winding check. Sliding up, your next piece you should see on, a, on a, most rods is going to be your hook keeper. Um, and there's various designs. I, I like to use the swivels on a lot of mine, but then there's just your standard um, from there. Usually beyond that, you start looking at the label, then you start getting into your stripping guides and your ferrules. So at the end of each piece, you know, there's a, there's a male-female section. Uh, they'll call that your ferrule section, and those can look different on uh, carbon, uh, graphite versus glass, um, um, just because of kind of the composition of the material. Your next thing you'll get into is your stripping guides. Those are usually the bigger guides that will be uh, not typically single-footed for at least your first couple. It's where your initial line's running through. You should have the biggest play. And there's various, you know, various Sizes. Things. Totally, right? Yeah. Depending yeah. on what you're building. I mean, I, we're looking at one spinning that starts with an 8, and I've got another one starting that starts with a 12. It just depends what you're building. Uh, and then you go all the way down the line. You can either go snake guides, single foot guides, and then there's a lot of brands and manufacturers that have variations of those, but those are your two basics. And then the very tip, they call that your tip top. And then your tip top is your is the last guide, uh, the final string of, of, of where your, your line is coming out of. And 
you know, through those pieces, um, there's just a million different ways to do it, different uh, uh, finishes on the blanks, um, I mean, millions of resin com you know, combination options, um, you know, threads, some, you know, the silk right now, the transparent silk has been a big thing lately, uh, but there's A, B, and C size threads. There's, you know, that's when you start getting the technical part of it that, that really just takes some time to figure out what works for you. Yeah, so how do you um, how do you decide how far apart your guides your guides go? Yeah, I mean guide spacing. You know, um, in the beginning we took you know probably some of the top five or six formulas, put them on, put them on in different ways. Did we see any extra drag between you know four and five? Um, that can also be determined by the size. Are you using too many ones? Should you have two, three? And these are size guides. So th there's a little playing with that uh, that goes around. For the most part, you know, I think if you took your top, I don't know, 10 manufacturers and gave them a five, nine footer, um, they're going to vary to centimeters or maybe an inch or so here and there. Um, you know, but to me, it's more than the spacing. It's also the diameter of the guides you're using, the style of guides you're using. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that goes into play with them. You know, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't lay out a, a eight foot one weight the same way I would a... Uh, you know, an eight foot five weight, it's just a little bit of a different you sure. know, where the meat's going to be, or especially even in a fast action versus a moderate pass, yep. right? Um, so yeah, there's some behind the scenes formulas to those. So what's the, uh, what's the smallest rod you have in terms of length? The smallest one I've got now is a six, six part of our little river series is the two weight. They're, they're designed as a small stream rod and it's a, a, a two weight six, six is my shortest rod right now. And what's your biggest, so what's the longest rod you make right now? Well, the longest is the soon-to-be-revealed. We are, um, we're kicking out the Allagash. It's going to be our first uh, spay rod, 12 feet, 12, 12 and a half feet. <coughs> and that'll be our longest. Uh, currently, we've got, uh, you know, this year was about really rounding out the portfolio. Last year was covering the basics and adding a few fun ones in there. But uh, between our Nymph, our Switch, and our Spays, you know, those certainly be the long boys this year. And then we're getting some new materials and, you know, we started to roll the glass and, and some stuff like that as well. But, um, yeah, the shortest is 6'6". Uh, uh, six, six. The lightest is a one weight and the heaviest is a 10 weight at this point and the longest around 12 feet. Cool, cool. Um, so transitioning over to a question that I get a lot as a guide, fly shops get it, I'm sure you get it a ton, is like how do you... How do you choose a size rod, you know, um, and I think a uh, short answer would be that we know, well, what species are you fishing for first is usually a question that you'd ask them, but um, how do you kind of point people in that direction when they ask you that question? Well, we got it so much that we added a fly rod 101 section to our site, which basically just gave you some real basics, right? Um, I, I think without meeting and fishing somebody, I don't know if you can ever get it 100% right, um, but fundamentally I do have a lot of people write, Hey, this is my first rod. I'm just trying to get into fly fishing. I just moved into New England. I'm positioned here in Augusta. I've heard big things about the Rangeley area. What would you recommend? All right, cool. Um, so my clock says, well, new fisherman, uh, keep the rod, something that's going to be controllable, find something that's going to be universal. Um, try to keep it simple for the guy. Right. So I'd, I'd probably push him to a, a nine foot five weight. Um, and is that something that's like medium weight usually? Yeah. I'm mean, sorry, medium action versus fast action. I would most definitely go medium action on, on a new rod. Um, you know, I find the guys who are a little more technical uh, or, or who specifically know the action of a fast, who ask for a fast. Otherwise, I don't typically steer a lot of people in that direction. Yeah. You know, it's funny. These nymphs sort of have some of the characteristics because they're so darn long in the tapers. Uh, but when you're in the nine foot and you're, you know, it really is, it, it's a very different cast. Um, and if you're working on that cast and you're working on, um, you know, those loops and, and the false and the, the double hauls, you know, that, that, that moderate's going to be the way to go. So that's where I'd push somebody new. Yep. Uh, but then I get the guys who say, I have 10 rods. I want one of yours. What should I get? <laughs> okay. What exactly do you have? What's your favorite? What do you wish you had? What's your void? And where are you planning on taking this thing? Um, the Little River, you know, became our best-selling rod really, really quickly. And the second best-selling rod we've had to date has been the Custom. 
I think that speaks to a couple of things. Not many people are carrying these small tight stream rods, but have always thought, oh, this would be a great spot for a small tight stream rod. And then the other one is like, look, I, I want something that's really going to be unique to me. I want to pick out my wraps. I want everything to speak to exactly what it is I've been looking for, but I can't find and see if I can build it for them. So I, I guess, you know, the, the, for those collectors who have full quivers out there, they're, they're always looking for that next one they don't have. Yeah, And, absolutely. you know, that's where the one weights come into play and some of the various things we've got because I fish with all of them and... Uh, and I think there is a situation for each one of them. Yeah. Can, can you explain um, the difference between what we mean by fast action rod versus a medium action rod? For, like for people who have never heard the term, if they're not yeah. sure what it is. Yeah, and frankly, there's another category of slow. Um, but, you know, at the festival we did last year, that's one of the first things I wanted to show a lot of people. I, I often have people write in and say, I want uh, fast, and I'll say, why? Well, I don't know, it's just what I heard. All right, let's slow down and back up a little bit. If you were to take two of my rods now, and let's take the dead, for instance, the Kennebec, and swing them side by side, you'd instantly feel a bigger difference. As the modules go higher on this carbon, and the rods are thinner, they're lighter, there's typically more action in them, also leads to more you know, brittle, but it also can really affect where you're getting the most play. A fast action, you gotta think of it closer to the tip. Uh, for those who know how to handle them, they should be able to chuck a little bit further. There's some more accuracy, they say, in some of those. Um, I've yet to have anybody prove all the theories on these, sure. but typically the fast is going to give you more in the tip, your medium is going to give you a little more in the midsection, and then your slows are kind of going to be the whole rod is just going to give you a, a slower as opposed to the you know, faster teetering of a, of a fast action rod. So it really sets down to a skill set. Um, somebody brand new, I wouldn't throw a fast. There's really not many slows, but it is a category out there. Yeah. Uh, but it really characteristic of where on the rod you're going to get the most bend, how much bend, how much play you're going to get. And, you know, to me, the, the higher you go, the more technical it goes. And I think that really needs to go with your skill level. Yeah. So if you're like a brand new fly caster and you're saying like kind of slow action, like where is the bend in the rod then for someone who hasn't really cast it a lot? Like where, yeah. where should they be looking for it, I guess? Yeah, so you go slow, you know, a lot of the meat's going to be more in the front section of it and yep. kind of give the whole rod that play. I don't think that that's a good idea. Uh, that's where the moderates come into play or the mediums, right? Everyone's got their language there. But that's just a nice flex in the middle. And if you're on a six or a five, I mean, like, like for me, the West Branch, I take that thing when I want to chuck some streamers. It's just got some nice mid-bend. It's, it's got some meat behind it. That one's perfect for me. If I'm shorter, smaller, a little more technical, that's where that Kennebec fast action comes in. I may need a quicker flick, something smaller there. But if I can go big loops, you know, I, I like those mediums bigger. Yeah. Uh, they, they feel better to me. Is it, is it kind of like in golf with golf clubs? They have like a loose and then a regular and then a stiff flex. Yeah. Is that kind of how it works with fly rods? Is they get faster action, is more stiff rod kind of in a way? Yeah, you know, yes. You know, it, it, behind the scenes, as we get up in modules of graphite or carbon or, or whatever you want to use for your language, um, the dollar amount goes up. So those $1,000 rods become very brittle. They're very light, they're very sensitive, um, and they're also extremely brittle. Um, I do... I, and I have compared, you know, rods with golf clubs in the past, and and I asked the guys, you know, did you really notice a difference on that swing with those two thousand dollars set versus the five? Uh, no, not really. Right? Then then, then you shouldn't be buying the two thousand dollar one. You, right. You're not really feeling the difference. Right. When you've perfected your game and you're looking for that small little advantage, that's why you do that stuff. Otherwise, yeah. keep it simple. Keep it right in that mid level range, and. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't see the value in a lot of that high yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I think I think to kind of put this in the terms for people who are beginners or new or, I mean, even me just a few years ago, I I was always fishing a five or a six weight, always, for trout, for salmon, bass, and then I bought a four weight. And then I really, <laughs> like, it took going down to that four weight to be like, this is a lot harder to land this fish with this rod. Like, my forearm's burning, it's taking me a little longer to get them in. It's a better fight, you know, so to say. So um, I think for people who haven't, you know, tried a lot of different weight rods, they really don't, you may not understand, you know. And it took me just trying some different weight rods to be like, okay, like, 
if I had a three weight, there's some fish that I've caught that I'm like, I don't think I could have landed it on that. I just don't think it had enough like support to it, and it was just wearing me out too much. So yeah, it's crazy the difference though in the weights when you kind of start kind of changing up from what your regular weight is. So I agree. It was, um, you know, it really wasn't the last couple of years for me that. You know, I really saw the benefit of the different rods at the different times of year. And, and you know, w w when the water's cold and the fight is good and the fish are healthy, you know, I, I, I like to feel the same reward pulling in that native seven-incher uh, on a two-weight, you know, as I would that trophy out of the mags on a six-weight. Right. And, 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 and that's, what it, that's what it's about on the varying levels of the rods, right? Some people are just religious to a four to six and that's it. Or, and then an eight or nine for the, for the ocean. But, boy, it gets fun when you get less than four. Um, you know, if you, if you fish them wrong season and you're just doing it so you can constantly feel like you're fighting and you're, you're tearing the fish apart, well, then you're missing the point. Um, but there's some native uh, ponds that, that we frequent early season. That, you know, these one weights and two weights are just, they're, they're, they're perfect <laughs> for awesome. You know, I've, I put a little bat and kill on there, the old clicker reel with barely any drag, yeah, and, yeah. and you just have some fun with it. And... Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you kind of bring the rod for the audience you're after. And if you're in one of those rivers where you're just unsure, you know, then you go up one and, and, and you, you play it safe. But, sure. um, you know, there's some places we know where they're just not getting any bigger than 10. So you, you bring the right equipment at the right time of year. Yeah, and you get that good fight and it doesn't feel like it's uh, too easy for you. And it's, it's a good challenge. And Yeah. Yeah, I get it. It's about the experience, you know. Totally. Um, I'm sure another question you get is, like, what's what's the best way for someone to decide like which reel and like line mm. they should get for a rod yeah yeah it's, and, and some of it comes through you know with a lot of passion and you know i i feel like if i if i completely steer someone towards a exact reel or line then i'm basically telling that person i have fished every reel and every line on the market today and hands down this is the one um I'd be lying, and, and that's just everything we're against. So I'll make recommendations or potentially tell people what I use. Uh, the other day, somebody wrote and said, hey, I'm looking at that one weight that you've got, you know, uh, what would you recommend? Well, I said, look, I, I don't see this thing going big. I like small arbor. I personally put a two fine on it uh, on, a, on an old bat and kill, and, and to me it just it was perfect. So I tend to share my own experiences with folks, letting them know there are other options out there. Sure. Um, and, you know, there's been some, you know, feedback in the past, like, you know, why won't you tell them exactly what to use? Well, because then that makes me an expert in every line combination possible with every reel, and I'm giving them that solid recipe. Um, I guess I could say that and, and present as all-knowing, but we're not. We're learning. We're humble. We're, you know, we're growing, and, and I want to educate people, but, you know, I think some of those decisions should come from them. You know, we started carrying the cheeky stuff and, and, and the cheeky preloads. And, you know, when the brand new guy writes me and says, what should I get for a reel? I'm going to tell him the, pre the, the cheeky preload all day long. Sure. It's 99 bucks. It's all strung up. It's Make sure you love fishing first. Make sure you're going to use it. If you beat this thing up enough, you need another reel. Well, then it's time to go get another reel. Yeah. But to go string up for three, 400 bucks, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we get a lot of those questions. Um, I'll share what it is that I use um, but you know, behind the scenes, I, I love a good factory store for a reel. I, I love a good discount. Absolutely. I, I put my meat and my effort into the rod and into the, into the flies and, and, you know, making sure I've got everything else I need. But, you know, to the, the reels to me have always been a means to the end. And, and I, you know, I think we shut, we like to fish those real flashy ones as part of you know our own personal images but it doesn't mean it's best for everybody so yeah i mean there's some really cool looking reels out oh. there that go beautifully with a rod and then a certain colored line it's beautiful i mean if you're into the artistic side of it and you want it to look like that i mean that's that's totally. cool but for a lot of people you know they ask well what should i get for a reel and i'm like well if you're fishing for trout you know smaller fish i mean at the end of the day uh reel is a uh, fly line holder i mean that's it that's they're not burning mean. you way near backing so i mean I'm not saying, you know, if you want to, sure, go buy a $300 reel. But if you don't want to spend that, I don't think you're not going to land fish because of it. You know? Right. You're still going to be able to cast your line off of it. And I have one of those bat and kill reels too, though. I think it's fun sometimes. It's I just kind of just, just palm it with your hand to kind of use the yeah. drag. There's no drag system on it. So. No. 
I think it's pretty cool. Very it's, minimal. With the old crank noise to it. And I'll tell them, I'll tell them things like, you know, uh, if they're getting into our Casco Bay series, you know, you need something sealed. You want to kind of keep some of that, that, that junk out of your, uh, you know, the guts of the reel. Uh, if they're going after a little river, I usually will push them towards a small arbor. I always laugh when they go to a local shop and they come back with these massive arbors for this little three weight. It's like, you know, you get about 50 yards on there you don't need, uh, for starters. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll, there's certain categories. Well, so I'll give a firm opinion, but you know, if someone says, "What should I get to balance out my, uh, you know, nine foot six weight Kennebec?" It's like, Jesus, I don't know. There's only like a thousand combinations, of which a third of them will work just fine. Um, you know, so um, we recently got a suggestion on the site that we should at least have something we recommend. But then I feel like we're presenting bias to certain companies without actually knowing every right. one of them out right. there. And you're not a real maker. You're a rod maker. I'm a rod yeah, maker, right. you know, right. and right. we hope you dig the rods, but I'm not going to, you know, talk, you know, negative or not, you know, condone a Ross because I've never fished a Ross and recommend, therefore, something else. Like, that doesn't seem right to me. Um, if someone, if every company wants to send us one of their reels, then I'll give it out to the guide team and they can report back. There you go. Um, you know, but, it, but until we have all the knowledge of the world, um, which... The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get too specific on that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, well, thank you for sharing Main Fly Company with us. Yeah, and um, also for just sharing some background knowledge on, you know, what are the parts of a fly rod? How is it made? Um, before we kind of sign off here, are there some uh, are there some events in 2020 here that, that you're kind of... Um, Main Fly Company is going to be a part of that you want to share? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're pretty psyched to be um, hitting all the main shows this year, so we'll be covering a lot of those shows in March. Um, we recently just uh, brought on our first ambassador, uh, Tim Adams uh, from Oxbow, and uh, he couldn't be a better guy and, and a better partner for us, and we're going to be throwing some pretty cool parties at each one of those breweries uh, between Newcastle, Oxford, and Portland. Uh, talking about some fly competitions and, and uh, you know some good events after that. Um, uh, partnering with Maine Outdoor Brands and, the, and there's some big uh, festivals happening there. So yeah, you guys will see us on the streets a whole lot more this year than last year. Um, and we'll be at the Fly Fishing Film Tour this year over at uh, in Brunswick. Uh, you know, which is always a good time. It's a small yeah. venue, some good video and uh, uh, some some good beers right down the walkway there. So it's it's some good stuff so yeah you'll definitely be seeing a lot more of us on the streets and cool um stay tuned for dates and times nice yeah and by the time this airs some of those shows are will have already gone by but i mean in the future you probably go back to fly fishing film tour and some of these, oh, these totally. other shows and stuff and um yeah thanks so um thank you so much for coming on the show jeff really appreciate it yeah thanks for coming by yeah um if uh if you're looking for jeff you're looking for main fly company you can find them at mainflyco.com or on Instagram or Facebook at Main Fly Company. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Main Fly Fishing Podcast.